Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. I want to help men today. I want to help fathers to diagnose some problems that we all face. And the first problem we have to deal with is the problem that we don't know what the problem is. The Apostle Paul in uh, Romans chapter 7 identified a problem that many of us, not just men, but women, young people as well, deal with. Paul said, you know, I know what's right to do, but I don't always do it. And he says, the things that I'm doing, I know they're wrong, but I can't stop it. Said, so there's a problem on the inside of me. What, what Paul was really saying is that, hey, I'm the problem. So we need to diagnose the problem if we're going to become better men. Men and fathers, I want you to know this morning that you are so important. You are so important. Just one man can make all the difference. One man can make the difference in a, in a child's life. One man can make the difference in a community, in a neighborhood, in a church. Last week we started a, a message series called Hello, My Name Is. We dealt with a fellow named Peter last week. And this morning on Father's Day, I want to deal with a guy named Adam. That one man, he made all the difference. In Adam, every person that's in this place was represented. We're all represented in Adam, whether you're male or female, young or old, black, white, yellow, brown, red. I want to take you back and diagnose some of the problems that Adam dealt with, and I think we're still dealing with today. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam sets the pattern for the rest of us who were inside of him. In Genesis 2 and verse 15, the Bible says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. I want to take just a moment to begin and just talk about a place called there, being in that place. God placed Adam in Eden, and the name Eden really means an open door. It means a moment. It means a spot or a place. God put Adam in a place. He put him in a place of his presence. Eden also means a delightful place. God set Adam up. He put him in a perfect place. And I want to remind and encourage men today, especially on this Father's Day, that wherever you are right now, the woman that you have, the wife that you have, the children that you have, God set you up. 
You don't need to look on the other side of the fence and think the grass is greener over there. All you need to do is just tend to what God has given you right now. God put Adam in that place to tend it and to keep it. Several years ago, we were taking men through a journey called the men's fraternity. And one of the things that we learned is that a real man accepts responsibility and rejects passivity. A real man looks for an eternal reward, God's reward. And the name Adam means man. And the first thing that God gave Adam was a work to do. He gave Adam a job. He put him in the garden to, to take care of it. And wherever you are right now, men, you got to work it out. God has placed you in that place. He's given you the abilities. He's given you the skills. You can work it out because we're made in his image. We're made in his likeness. That means that just as God is a free a moral agent, that he's also given us the freedom to choose. He's given us the free will. He gave us freedom, but he also gave us responsibility. How many of you know that with freedom comes responsibility? That 4th of July just don't mean that you get a day off and you get to bring out the barbecue grill. Freedom comes at a price, and freedom means responsibility. To be free in the United States of America means that you need to vote. You got a responsibility to be a citizen. God gave us a free will to choose. That's a gift. And that also means that because he gave us freedom and responsibility, that there are some things that God will not do for you. He expects you to do them. I heard a story about a man who, uh, who took over a vacant lot, and, and the lot had all kind of uh, abandoned cars and abandoned tires and weeds growing up and, and broken glass bottles and all kind of garbage. And day after day, the man just began beautifying the lot. And over a period of months, people began walking by, and, and one man walked by and complimented the man. He knew that the man was a Christian and said, man, wow, you and God certainly have done a wonderful job with this lot. And the man who did all the work said, well, you should have saw it when God had it by himself. <laughs> See, God will not do everything for you. He gives us freedom, but he also gives us responsibility. He places us in the garden to work it, to watch over it. He gives us responsibility. He gives us accountability. That means that whatever God gives you, he's expecting results, and he's going to come back, and he's going to inspect what he expects. And so there came a time that God came back in Genesis chapter 3, just like a good supervisor, and said, Adam, where are you? What have you done with what I gave you? See, when it comes to taking responsibility, there are some men who do what Adam did. When God came for accountability, there's some of us who like to play the blame game. We like to blame other people for us not handling our responsibility. I'm not talking to anybody in here. I'm just talking. But ladies, I want to encourage you to watch out for a man that runs from responsibility. Watch out from a brother that likes to pass the buck. Men, the buck stops with you. Fathers, whatever is happening in the household, the buck stops with you. Whatever's going on in your children, the buck stops with you. 
We need to stop playing hot potato and passing it on, uh, you know, like, oh, this is too hot. Let me give it to somebody else. God expects us to work what he's given us. And I recognize that some of us as men run from responsibility because we weren't taught how to handle responsibility. Maybe it wasn't modeled for us to handle responsibility. One of the first ways that you can teach your children responsibility is early in the morning, wake them up, and the first thing they do is make your bed up. Come on, you slept in that bed last night. I'm not going to make it up. I got my own bed to make up. Teach them responsibility. Hold them accountable for it. So Adam began playing the blame game. He began blaming Eve, and Eve passed the buck onto the serpent. But God held the man responsible for the sin. It's called the fall of Adam, not the fall of Eve. And what happened to that first man, to that first Adam, it impacted the entire human race because we all were inside of him. I've been pastoring long enough to know that there are some church members that they blame the preacher. They blame the preacher for everything. They blame the preacher for not feeding them. I'm, not, I'm going to another church. I'm not getting fed up in here. Well, do you know that you are responsible to feed yourself? Amen. You got a Bible just like I got a Bible. You need to learn how to feed yourself. I mean, when you're a baby, I understand the mother bringing you to her breast and feeding you and, and putting a bottle in your mouth. But after a while, come on now, it's time for you to start taking the fork and the knife and cutting up your own meat and putting it in your own mouth. God expects us to handle our responsibility. Man, I want you to just say this. The buck stops with me. I'm going to stop passing it around. I heard this side, but I didn't hear this side over here. <laughs> That's all right. I'm going to leave y'all alone this Father's Day. But I want you to understand this, man, that some things will only change when you take responsibility for them, when you take ownership for them. And so God has a high expectation of men. He places a higher standard on men and fathers than he does upon women. It reminds me of the parable of the talents, the one that got five and the one that got two and the one that got one. God came back expecting multiplication. He came expecting increase. And when he didn't find any with the one who had the one talent, God, he, he rebuked that man and put him outside of the place of paradise. So, men, you are responsible. God gave us a work to do. The second thing that God gave the first man, and we often struggle with this, it's a problem. God gave the man a will to obey. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, the scripture says, The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. God gave the man a will to do. But he said, listen, don't eat of this one forbidden tree. That, that, that is a command that he expects us to obey. And whenever God gives us his will, his will is the best thing for us. Whenever we do God's will, God's way, we will never lack God's resources. God's will is not to punish us, it's not to keep us from, from pleasure, but it is to bless us and to protect us. And what God was really trying to teach Adam is that I want to be your daddy. I want to be the one who teaches you right from wrong. 
So I want you to submit to my will. I want to ask you a question. Who's your daddy? Who's teaching you right from wrong? Who's, who's setting the standards in your life? You know what we see in our society today is that people are choosing their own standards. They're choosing to be God. It reminds me of the book of Romans chapter 1 that people did not glorify God as God, but nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their own thoughts and they exalted the creature more than the creator. So God gave them over to a reprobate, defiled mind. That's, what, that's the time in which we're living in today. People have decided, I'm going to be daddy. I'm going I'm to choose what's right and wrong for me. In Genesis chapter 3, we see how Adam chose a different father. In Genesis 3, and remember, we are in Adam. In Genesis 3 and verse 1, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 11, God comes and said, Who told you that you were naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you not to eat? In verse 17, Adam said, because he said unto Adam, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and has eaten of the tree which I commanded you, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow shall you eat all the days of your life, and the sweat of, the, of thy face shall thou eat bread till you return unto ground, for out of it you were taken, and from dust unto dust shall you return. Adam chose a different father. And whenever we choose a different way, whenever we choose a different will, God told Adam, the day that you eat of it, you are going to die. Choose my way. Choose my will. My will will lead to life. And what we see happening in our society today are just a bunch of dead men walking. People who are walking toward, they're already death, but they're walking in a way, a path of death. Years ago, there was a movie called Dead Men Walking. It was about a, a, a man who was a convicted uh, murderer. And on death row, he was going to be executed. And this, this Catholic nun came to visit him and began to reform him. And, and, and he began to confide and change his life. But when it was time for him to be executed, on his last day, as he was walking out of his cell, people would just say, Dead Men Walking? Dead Men Walking. That's what we see happening in our society today. Just dead people walking. People are just walking in death. And, and, you know, people who are on death row, they have nothing to live for. They will do anything. I mean, what you going to do? Give me more time? I'm already dead. And so people today will do anything because they're dead. Man left to himself will destroy himself and everyone and everything around him. And that's what we're experiencing today. The day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die, God said. So, man, our first problem is that sometimes we run from responsibility when God gave us a work to do. And secondly, we disobey the will of God. We have a will to obey. And then the third thing God gave the man was a woman to love. In, in Genesis 2 and 18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. 
And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. He gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a comparable, a helper comparable to him. Can you just imagine how God loaded Adam? Adam didn't have a computer. He was the computer. He was the database. He named everything. He saw Mr. and Mrs. Elephant and said, you're an elephant, you're a giraffe, you're a roach, you're a caterpillar, you're an ant, you're an eagle. And he remembered everyone's name. When Adam saw these Mr. and Mrs. Animal, but the scripture says, for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Remember those two words, helper comparable to him. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. I said, the man and his wife. Come on now. That's a key, that's a key sentence in there. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So don't get naked until you get married, right? Okay. So God made man, gave him a work to do, gave him a will to obey, gave him a woman to love. Gave him freedom and responsibility. Gave him accountability. And when he came back and checked on the work and the work wasn't done, God held the man accountable. The man ran from responsibility. Started playing the blame game, but God did not let the man off the hook. God gave him a woman to love. He gave him a helpmate, a helper. A helpmate. That's what a wife is. She's a helpmate. The word literally in the Hebrew is the word ezer, E-Z-E-R, which means a helper, a deliverer, a defender. She's a shield. She's a protector for her husband. She's a crown upon his head. So if she puts her crown upon her husband's head, he becomes a king, which makes her a queen. Proverbs 12 and 4 says, an excellent wife is a crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. She said, the scripture says, he gave her a helper, an easer, who was comparable to him. She was in his likeness. She was suitable to him. In other words, the wife is the equal of the husband. She's not the other half. She's whole just like you are. She's able to deal with you eye to eye on the same level. She doesn't have to walk behind you like they do in some cultures. She's your equal. She's comparable to you. I'm getting some amens from the women. This is Father's Day now. Y'all hold up. Y'all hold up. <laughs> That's all right, ladies. She just stretched out on that one. That's right. That's right. God took a rib and made the woman. The woman literally means a womb man. 
Because in the beginning, God made Adam, which means man. So within Adam was both male and female. He took out of the man a rib and made a womb man. So she's part of who he is. Before God gave Adam a romance, he gave him a responsibility. That's a pattern for stuff. You know, when we look at the first things in scripture, those are patterns for everything else that follows. Before you get a romance, you need a responsibility. If a brother comes out of jail with the Wisconsin State's prison system, he's been locked up. I don't care how long he's been locked up. The first thing he needs is not a woman, is work. He needs responsibility, not romance. And the principle is that God wants to see faithfulness before you will see fruitfulness. Amen. You got to put some, you got to put the seed in the ground and you got to work it before the harvest comes up. So ladies, make that brother work. Don't just, you know, just pow, just give him all the fruit and the cherries and the blossoms and the See some faithfulness first. Check out his faithfulness. Check out his, his tithe record. Check out his, talk to his pastor. Get a reference. Get a credit check. Do, you do Wisconsin Circuit Court on that brother. You know, just, oh, I don't need to tell y'all. Y'all already know. Okay, okay, okay. But when you're faithful over small things, that's when you'll be able to get greater things. Don't just, here's the great stuff. No, I got to see some faithfulness before you see the fruitfulness. Adam had a job before he had a wife. This is how we were created to live. When we do things God's way, according to God's will, we would never lack God's resources. But the problem is, when we run from responsibility, when we disobey his will, and when we don't honor the principle of relationship, particularly when it comes to romance... We fall from grace, and one man can make the difference for the good or for the bad. So we were all in Adam, and what happened to Adam happened to you and me. So as we read in in Genesis 3, the serpent deceived the woman. Adam was right there with her. He was right there with her when she took of the fruit And ate, she gave also to her husband, and he ate, and their eyes were both open. And they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then they heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the day. Let me just just turn a corner on this message and say when, when you hear the voice of God, God's not coming at you because he's angry or he wants to punish you. When you hear God and you feel his presence... When you're in the midst of worship and you feel like tears are about to well up in your eye and drop, that's, that's not the time to run from God. That's the time to say, God, you, you're coming to receive me. You're coming to restore me. They heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the garden, and they hid themselves from his presence. And there are some men, some fathers who are in here today that are hiding. 
hiding from God, hiding from responsibility, hiding from the will of God, hiding from, from family responsibility and relationships and running to this one and to that one. And God is saying, Adam, where are you? Hello, my name is Adam. Where are you? God never asks a question because he don't know the answer. He never asks a question because he's stumped. He's lost. I want somebody to help me out. God always asks questions to give us revelation, to open up our eyes, that he's the answer. Say, Adam, where are you? He said, I heard your voice, but I was afraid because I was naked. God began to reveal, you chose the wrong daddy. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to? I wanted to be the one to help you to know right from wrong. I wanted to be the one to teach you, but you chose a different father. And so God came to restore the man. And the point of this message today is that, is that God has come to restore us men back to our position of victory. You are created to rule and to reign with God. God said, let them have dominion. He was speaking to Adam. Let them, male and female, and everybody who was in him, we were created to have dominion. And he's saying, where are you now, man? How's that working out for you? How's that working out running from responsibility? Oh, I know it's tearing you up. I know you broke from the floor up, toe up from the floor up. How's that working for you? Disobeying the will of God. I know you're not happy. I know you're not prospering. You cannot disobey the will of God and prosper. How's that working out for you? How's that relationship working out for you? When you thought the grass was greener on the other side, all you had to do was just mow your own lawn, fertilize it. You'd have just been fine. But you're hearing the voice of God today. He's come to restore you, to reposition you back into victory. And this is what the Lord said after he dealt with Adam. Told him that you're going to labor and you're going you're to get your, your food, but it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. He dealt with the woman and said, you're going to still bear children, but it's going to be through hard labor. And then he dealt with the serpent in Genesis 3.14. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Look at verse 15. He says, I will put enmity, which is hatred. I will put warfare between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. In my Bible, this last seed is capital S. It's a prophetic word that Jesus Christ was going to come. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's letting us know that the only piece of our body that the devil need to be touching is under our feet. That we have authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the devil. So where are you, Adam? Are you, are you positioned in victory? See, this first Adam, he set a pattern for every one of us. That's where the problem started, like the car analogy. It started with Adam. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. What happened to Adam happened to all of us. That's why we don't have to teach babies how to sin. 
They're born sinners. They sin naturally. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. They're naturally selfish. They, they naturally will steal the cookie and, and say, I didn't do it. They naturally will lie. It, it, it's part of our nature. We were in Adam. And we all died. We all were separated from Jesus Christ. We're all sold under sin. We all have that sin nature. I like to call it the can't help it. Some of, come on now, there's some stuff that I know that I shouldn't be doing, but I can't help it. And there's some stuff I know that I should be doing, but I don't. That's a sin nature. Every one of us has that. We got it hereditary uh, through the genes from Adam. And just as we got the sin nature from the first Adam, we inherited righteousness from the last Adam. Oh, yeah. Whatever happened to the first Adam happened to us. Whatever happened to the second Adam happened to us. Because the prophetic word in Genesis 3 is that I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. The father was prophetically speaking about Jesus Christ. As the father said, you see what the world has, has become? You see what Satan has done to our creation? You see what he's done to Adam? You see what he's done to the human race? Now we need to create a new generation but we need a man Jesus says I'll go father said but we need a perfect man Jesus says I'll go we said we need a man who will die Jesus says I'll go and I'll die I'll become that last Adam I'll come in the form of a baby I'll come through the womb of a woman I'll live a sinless life I'll die on the cruel cross Men, I think you all can understand this, this, this new identity through analogy of sports. When your favorite team wins, how many of you are Warrior fans? Didn't we do it this year? Didn't we do it? Notice I say we. Ain't none of us laced up no tennis shoes, ran no laps, did any layups, put on a uniform, but we won. Right? Because we have our identity in a team. So what happens to the team happens to us. We start wearing baseball caps and jerseys and putting bumper stickers on like we're part of the team. See, we on team Jesus. We didn't have to lace up any sneakers. We didn't have to run any laps. We didn't have to drop any sweat off our brow. Jesus did all that for us. All we have to do is just say, I'm on his team. I don't even have to get off the bench. <laughs> what happened to him happens to me. I love to do weddings. And one of the, my favorite parts of the wedding is when the bride walks in, I say, everyone, please stand. The doors open up. And the bride comes in and she's on that side of the aisle and the father's on this side and he's walking her in. She's on his right arm because the right arm is a symbol of power and authority. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father, seated above all principality and power. And the bride walks in and she's on the right arm and then they stop right there. And I ask the question, I say, who's given this woman to be married to this man? The father sticks out his chest and said, I do. And I'm through with him. Go ahead, sir. You can take your seat. That's all I want to know. 
Then the husband, the, the groom, the bridegroom comes from down here and he, he stands now on this side and he brings his wife up before me. She's on his left arm. See, there's no strength. There's no authority. There's no ownership on the left side. But then I take them through the vows. I take them through the marriage ceremony. And then I pronounce them husband and wife after they have kissed and after they have exchanged rings and after they have exchanged vows of fidelity. And then they turn around and face each other and face the congregation. And now she's on his right arm. She belongs to him. And the reason, yeah, the reason that, that I'm through with the father is that she don't belong to him no more. She's got a new identity. She's got a new last name. She's got a new man. She don't need you no more, daddy. She, she got a new ring. You might have given her a purity ring, a vow of, of abstinence ring, but now she got another ring to say, wait a minute, you got to take that purity ring off. Them days are over. You mine now. Ain't no purity happening up in here. Come on now. I said I do. You said you do. That means we, we going to do what we do. She got a new man, she got a new ring, she got a new identity, she got new money, she got a new future. The same thing happened with you and me when we put our trust and our faith in that last Adam, Jesus Christ. The first Adam brought death upon us. He brought separation between us and God. But when we said yes to Jesus, Jesus brought justification for us. Justification means God treats me just as if I never sinned, justified. Just He looks at me as, and he doesn't see the sin. He sees the last Adam in me. He redeemed me. He bought me back from Satan. And now I got a new identity in Christ. I'm seated in the same place that Jesus is. What happened to him happened to me. I'm on the right hand of the Father just like Jesus is. I've got power and authority over Satan and over all the power of the enemy. I'm in the family of God. I got new brothers and sisters. I got a new ring. I, I got a ring of righteousness on me now. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. Worship team begin to come back. My old self was crucified with Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin. It's Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I, but it's Christ. I'm not condemned by God. I'm a child of God. I've been accepted by Christ. I've been called a saint. I have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In Christ, my body don't belong to me no more. My body is the temple of God. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, which literally means I'm a new Adam. I'm a new Adam. I'm not the same one that, that I used to be because Jesus changes all of that. You see, the first Adam, he was right there when Satan came and tempted his wife and deceived her. And she took of that forbidden fruit and she ate. She gave it to him. And their eyes were open. And Adam saw the sin that his wife was committing. He, he should have said, no, Eve, stop. You know what God has said. He gave us a will to obey. But no, Adam loved his wife so much. He says, well, if you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. Come on, that's some twisted kind of love, ain't it? If you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. When your loved one dies, they don't want you to die too. They want you to go on and live. That's love. 
Adam loved his bride so much when he saw her in her sins he said I'm just going to go ahead and die too we might as well be in this thing together he took from that tree but when the last Adam came he came also like the first son of God instead of taking from the tree he hung on the tree instead of dying with his bride he saw the sin that his bride was committing but he loved her so much he said I'm not going to die with you I'm going to die for you I'm going to die for you and I'm going to restore you back to the place of fellowship with your father I want you I want you to come back to that place of Eden I want you to come back to the spot come back to that moment to that open door to that garden of delight I want to restore you and reposition you back to victory. I want everyone to just bow your heads for a moment. And fathers, I want you to look up at me. Everyone else, just bow your heads. And those of you who already have a relationship with God, just begin to pray. Just begin to pray if you already know the Lord. But I want to ask you this question, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? In the game of golf, there's a term called a mulligan, which is really a do-over. If you hit a bad shot or you swing and miss, sometimes your partner will have grace upon you and say, you know what, just take a mulligan, just tee it up again and do it over. That's grace. They don't have to do that. It's not even part of the rules. Can I just let you know that God is a God of mercy and grace and he says, tee it up again. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.